Today's readings are 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, and 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. They can be found on pages 1064 and 1069 of the Bible's next year seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Now what about the collection for the Lord's people? Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave us as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they went beyond our expectations, having given themselves first of all to the Lord. They gave themselves by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also a completion, to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for his his sake, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last you were the Last year, were the first not only to give, to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me, please, as we begin? Our gracious God, as we come into this place from many different stations in life and experiences this week, we may come with faith or we may come with doubt. Some of us come with hurt and some of us come with joy. Some of us come wondering, why are we even here? How did this, how did it end up being that we're sitting here today? Are we in the right place? Others of us come, maybe um, we know why we're here. It's because we're longing for you to be real in a way that you haven't been lately. 
Maybe you were that way a long time ago, or maybe we've just always been trying to have a closeness with you that has been promised, and we're eager for it to begin. And from all these different places, whether we feel thankful for prayers answered, or we hardly even know how to pray, from all these places, the truth is we sit here universally broken, more of a mess than we care to admit. And this story of grace from the Bible keeps telling us that you move towards brokenness and you move into the heart of it as you did in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago through your son Jesus. You move into the brokenness. You take on the weight and the burden of our alienation and our anger. You take it on yourself in our place so that we can be drawn to you in joy and reconciliation with you. Speak to us now through that kind of grace. Help us to believe that it's true so that we can live lives of joy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've seen these videos. I think they're mostly on YouTube. And they're called Just for Laughs. Um, I don't know how I stumbled on them, but Eventually, I saw they're basically, if, you're, um, if you've been around a while, you know about Candid Camera. And uh, so this is a little bit like Candid Camera, newer versions of it. I'm getting a little bit of kind of weird feedback, which I can live with, but if there's something magic back there that can happen, thanks. Um, and so some of my favorites of this hidden camera prankster business on Just for Laughs, um, one of them is where the motorcyclist with a helmet on is asking an, an unknown person, an unsuspecting person, for directions. And the person's all in motorcycle gear, so you can't tell that the helmet actually begins here. And the shoulders are built up, so the helmet's up here, so that when a construction worker comes with a 2 by 4 and knocks the helmet off, it looks like the head rolls down the street. <laughs> And of course, the camera is on the face of the person giving direction and just the shock. And you can start to read into the eyes of what they're thinking. Like, wait, no, is that, it doesn't, how that, is that real? Just a shock. Um, Another one of my favorites is uh, when this information desk in this public mall and there's a receptionist behind the desk and she can't find this ringing cell phone. All of a sudden, this cell phone's ringing. She can't find She's rummaging around. And so these people are standing at this, this table, and she turns around to look over here for the phone, and that's when the location of the phone is revered, revealed clearly to the people on the other side of the desk. It's, it's, it's wedged in an uncomfortable place, we'll just say. And it, it's the kind of place where it's located where you can, see, again, you read the look on these people's faces, their eyes get wide, and you can see the wheels turning. I see it, and I want to help you, but I'm not going to say anything about where that phone is. Um, and also, I, I find myself looking there, but I probably shouldn't, you know, and it, just the look and the laughter on their face as the receptionist is rummaging around trying to find the phone, and it's blaring loud. I love it. And then, and then there's this one where, um, this really good one where the, uh, the unsuspecting man walks into a public restroom and there's a men's and a women's. And so you know, he sees the sign for men and he walks in and as he comes around the corner, his eyes are met with 
and, and they're actresses, of course. It's all staged. He's met with women in various stages of, of removing some article of clothing. So he's, he sees skin and, and underwear and, and, and all women, and then at just the right moment, they all turn and shriek that he came in, and then he responds by letting out this, ah, you know, shriek, and just wants to get out of there as soon as he can. Well, in some ways, that's what it's like as a, as a minister or a pastor preaching or teaching about money, <laughs> right? It's kind of like, how did I get here? Why am I here? I don't want to do this. I'm out of here. Uh, and, and it's also interesting because I'm sure, I'm positive that the Apostle Paul, who's writing these letters to the Corinthians, we got one letter written at one time, another at another time, so we see a little bit of a progression. I'm sure that he felt the same way in some respects. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of invasive, it's, it's personal, and of course we always wonder and we're very suspicious because, and I, I know this was true back then as well, that there's these charlatan figures that come in, these, these well-speaking people who, who maybe have some spiritual thing, but really they're just after the money. So um, there's reasons to be kind of hesitant to, to go before people and, and start talking about how they should give their money away. But Paul does it anyway. And the more you look at it, the more you study the Apostle Paul, the more you, you really look at the Bible the more you see why. And the more, in a sense, this week, as I did that, just to be honest, the, the more I got excited to talk today with a sense of purpose. And it's because, to put it simply, financial giving is essential to Christian growth. Christian uh, giving, giving of money, money away is, is an essential Christian growth opportunity. And so for the Apostle Paul, as he writes, he's actually, he's actually come across this need in Jerusalem where the church started, where there's these Christians who are in dire straits and in poverty and really struggling. And then there's churches that he's, he's gone around and traveled and begun these other churches that have caught wind of the same. So they're all kind of part of the same movement. And so there's this, this fraternity, in a sense, this connection through their faith but the ones in these newer places far away, they've, they've got more resources and they're not struggling and the famine isn't affecting them. And so when Paul realizes this inequality in a sense, he doesn't um, dance around it. He goes right at it because he's, he's got a strong sense. Ah, here's my opportunity. Here's my chance to give them this growth opportunity. In a sense, Paul would feel like he's jipping the churches if he just skipped this whole side of things. He would, he would feel like he was not giving them, like he was, he was robbing them by not talking about giving money away. So let's talk about how this is a growth opportunity and more, more so today, how you enter into it because these passages are extremely practical. So first of all, to, to really grow, to, to grow through giving, you first of all have to get into the details. And you notice that Paul gets them into the details in the first passage that we read from 1 Corinthians. This is, his, this is kind of his first time talking with them about money. Um, and so as you're reading this, um, you see the just very simple, detailed instructions that he gets into. I'm just all over the place here. Um, there it is. 
All right, there we go. He says, um, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. It's a very, it's a kind of a tedious thing to write in a letter to people far away. It's this practical steps for, for how to go about this. He gets into the details, and that's what we need to do. Uh, churches, by and large, have done this, have done the same kind of thing that Paul does here, although Paul doesn't do it, doesn't talk about it, and I'll get to why a little bit and a little bit later. But tithing is talked about. And tithing is, um, goes back to the Old Testament, and so just not to assume that everyone just says, oh yeah, I know all about that. Um, tithing is the idea that you would give 10% of all that, you, all that you're being blessed with. Uh, and so for us in today's economy, that's, that's currency, that's income. So 10% given back to the God who blessed you with all of it. So the sense of stewardship. All of it's yours that God's entrusted to you. Uh, 10% of it was this Old Testament way of, of just sort of giving a measuring stick of some sort of where to begin. And then there's a crucial thing that I think is, has valuable sort of spiritual implications. The idea of first fruits. That your, your, your tithe, that 10% would come from the front end. Because we all know how, how, how good we are at saying, ah, oh, when I have a little left over, then I'll give, right? Because then what do you have left over? Nothing, right? That's, I mean, just that, that's human nature. So there's this, there's this idea that comes from the Old Testament of giving God actually the first, and not just, the, but the best, like the best 10%. And so people often in churches get into these details and give you this suggestion of trying some way to, to use that tithe, that one-tenth, that 10% number, and that idea of giving it on the front end before all the bills are paid, getting into those kind of details is an extraordinarily helpful, deep, meaningful, spiritual thing to do. And you can continue. There's all kinds of other ways to, to really get into the details. One I came across with uh, this week uh, has sort of a two-stage thing, and I really like the creativity behind this. Um, and I can give you a sample of this sheet if you desire. But basically, it's a, it's a one-page sheet. You just kind of fill it out really quick. And on the top, you'd put sort of an estimate of your gross income. And then you'd, you'd put a number on the next line that would say a percentage uh, that you want to give away. So maybe, you know, whatever percentage that is that you desire, you think you're able to do. And then, um, and then you go down uh, under that to a list of donees, of, of places you want to give to, that you feel... So this is where it gets interesting, is it's a sense of calling, right? Like, what's in my life that I feel led to give to? And so then each one of those lines has an amount of, you know, I think I, I, should, I'd, I feel called to give this much to this and this much to this and this much to that. And then what you do kind of at the end is you add up the, and compare the top numbers, right? So what is... 10% or let's say you did 10% or maybe 8 or 7 or 12. So you do a number and you see what comes out. What is that percentage? What is that hard number at the top? And then you compare at the bottom. What is that hard number of all the list of, of, of things I want to donate to? And then the idea being, it's even right here on this sheet, the idea is that, um, that you don't, if the stuff on the bottom adds up to more than what the top added up to, then give what the bottom added up to and then that's where the, the big step and leap of trust comes in. In other words, prioritizing 
not some random number, but prioritize the sense of calling to give and trusting that that's from God. I thought that was great in a really detailed way to get into things. And that might be way too detailed for you. Maybe this time of the year, it's just as simple as looking at the tax return and saying, gross income, this much, amount given to charity, this much. And then just sitting with that and just thinking about what that means and thinking about what that says about uh, your heart, your generosity. All of these things, um, all of the things that you might do that are just getting you into the details, they all do the same thing. They put you in a place where you're looking at it and you're saying, what do I notice? What do I notice about my generosity, about my heart? What's going on? What's, What's the condition of my generosity is there some kind of unavoidable truth that you know once i actually do this start peeling away some of the layers of just the details that there's things that i just can't help but i have to pay attention to and i have to say that maybe that lack of generosity um, is just this throbbing thing in my life um on so it's palm sunday today and I thought, and often I do this when we're talking about money, I like to give some practical thing to walk out of here with. Um, and though I'm not done yet, although this won't be a long message, this is, this is that practical thing. Um, if you open your worship guide, actually, you can see this. On the contact card, there's a, there's a flap, and you fold it out, and on the back side, there's a little sticker there that basically says the Palm Sunday Giving Challenge, three possible things that you might check off today. Like one of them is the idea, maybe two. But here's what they are. And the first one, we, first two we just talked about. Get into my details in a specific way. Maybe for you that's a, that's a step you've never done. Check it off. Hand that contact card in with name or without, but just to give a sense of where people are at and how you're responding together so that we can pray for what the decisions that you're making. The second one, give 10% for the rest of 2013. And I'm praying today and this week for there to be five folks or five households that sign on to that. And if you want, if you want, because community helps and accountability helps, if, if you're one of the people that you want to do that, I'm, this might be weird to you, but if it is you, you, you say, I want a little connection. I want to connect with someone once in a while about that and talk through it or at the front end talk about how to do that, then I'm available and maybe more than one people want that and we just... We get together and pray and encourage each other around that once a quarter or once a month or something. So give 10% the rest of 2013. And then this last one, pray for spiritual fullness. And that's where we're moving on to with, with number two, uh, the second thing we're going to talk about this morning. And that is that you don't just have to get into your details, but there's a whole other thing. You have to discover the new motivation in Christian giving. You have to discover the new motivation Let me just read this prayer and listen for the motivation in it. This is the prayer, uh, the money Lenten prayer that we have printed on cards in the back. Dear great provider, if I had a clear view of you, I would have more faith in your care for me. What What is the motivational stuff behind Christian giving? But I greatly resist your call to take stock of the assets you have deposited in my account. I've been believing the lie that security and happiness are found in my money, so I cling to it. I wish to give away more of my income to force myself to act on my beliefs about the security and happiness 
you provide. So there's some motivation right there. In this, teach me to depend on the riches of your forgiveness and grace. So I read that not only to introduce you to another tool this week that's available to you, the prayer about money, but also to get into this question of motivation. Because if you look at the New Testament, you might be struck if you're looking for money discussions that Jesus and the Apostle Paul and the other writers in the New Testament don't camp out on the idea of tithing. I brought it up just as a helpful kind of tool in the toolbox kind of deal. But I think that actually if, if Jesus saw, look, you know, came today and saw churches just talking about you know, Christian giving means tithing, Christian giving means tithing, in some ways I think Jesus would look at it and go, well, that's, that's okay, but that's sort of the unimpressive boilerplate entry-level kind of generosity. I really think that's what he would say. Because the story of the Christian church, the story of the movement that comes out of Jesus, is that there's this radical, and, and really just, that's an overused word, but there is a radical reality that the Christian has in their life. And that is that they have a, if you want to think about it like possessions, the Christian has a possession that outstrips all the possessions and desires that you're chasing after in this world. And, you know, it, it, so it outstrips your, your money, of course, but also career and maybe your hunt for a spouse or maybe your desire for a certain kind of property and all those things. Anything you've set your eyes on in this life and said, my life's going in that direction. I want that. I'm going to do that. The, the, there's a possession at the center of your life that, that is bigger than all of that, that outstrips all of that, that is more satisfying than all of that, and that is this. You are reconciled with God through Jesus. There's a bunch of different ways the Bible talks about this possession you have. You're reconciled. It talks about you're forgiven. You're completely forgiven. You were, in a sense, alienated and running from God, and God ran towards you through Jesus. And on the events of Holy Week, we find that Jesus does the final link to chase us down and bring us home. So that let me just say it another way. Another way the Bible talks about this possession that you have that's at the center of your life is that you are a child of God. You're brought home, finally. And all of us have some experience being children and looking up to some way to some kind of parents or guardians in our lives. And some of you may hear me talk about being a child of God and that may bring to mind how good parents have been for you. And so you can extrapolate and think about how God is... Good like that, only better. Only that goodness you got a watered-down version of the best. And some of you think about being a child of God and you think about how not-so-good parents have been and how you still go to therapy to work out what is unsettled about what your parents weren't for you. And so this concept of being a child of God has, still has power for you, but in a different way, sort of in an opposite way right like this is the all those longings and yearnings for parenting and to be parented come to you finally and are given freely as you're brought home by the the number one parent the great father that is a possession you have in your life if you're a christian and you go on to talk about how we're a new creation or how you have a new self given to you because of what jesus did on the cross but all these things all these different ways scripture talks about it all of them talk about what you have as permanent. 
So it can't, can't, it doesn't run out and it can't be taken away by anything you do. So you don't, you know, you don't lose your rights to this possession because of, of one weekend of em- embarrassing misery. All right? Just to get, make it concrete. This is your possession. It's permanent. It's talked about as something you can't screw up yourself. It's always available to you. It's always yours to tap into. It's your new possession. And so what's the big deal in this passage when the Apostle Paul is talking about the Macedonian churches? He says, In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They're acting as if they have this possession. in the middle of their life and it's outstripping all other things it's making other possessions sort of irrelevant there's a sense in which they've caught it they and and paul is seeing like you you know you can't fake this (laughs) no one would want to fake this right just give away so much that people think you're you're crazy you're weird what are you doing that's nuts and that's what they're doing so paul's saying ah look let's lift this up and look at it because you can't fake this they have, a, they have the number one possession at the center of their lives. They see, and they seem to have it in spades because they're poor and yet they're not afraid of further poverty. And they're not even afraid of their poverty growing. Um, in, so in a little bit, in this passage in verse 9, he connects that. They're not afraid of poverty. It connects that with Jesus in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You see the possession that you have as a Christian? That's the epicenter of the paradox of Christian giving, and it's... A great way that somebody put it once, um, just these simple words, is moving from a mentality of scarcity to a mentality of abundance. That's what that allows you to do, to have this at the center of your life, God's grace, God's riches. God's forgiveness and love and being a child of God and having the forgiveness of God and having um, all those things I mentioned, uh, being reconciled with God, that satisfies you so fully and all the longings you're chasing elsewhere for that if you catch how good that is, you'll actually try to get more of it. And that affects what you give away and how you treat your possessions. Because you might want to shed stuff because you want so badly to get more of the possession of God's grace. It's in abundance. It's just ready for you. I do this thing with my kids where I talk about the daddy tax, you know, parent. It usually relates to really good food or candy. And so I, I declare the daddy tax in certain situations. And they've learned by now that I'm not very serious about that, that it's, it's more of a threat and a joke. And, but but my, my kids' classmates don't know that, so then when I go along on a field trip or drive for a field trip and they all get out their lunches and I start talking about the, the grown-up tax... And they all kind of, they get a little scared, like really, and some of them, and then I, I feel terrible when one of them goes, okay, here. 
But, oh, no, no, I'm just kidding. A friend of mine, well, you know, the idea of the daddy tax is, you know, where do you get all this stuff from? You wouldn't even have it if it wasn't for me. And you look how much you have. It's time to, you know, uh, forced return generosity. But I, I have this um, other pastor that I know who started um, the daddy tax and the whoppers in the box. That's what it's like with God's grace and abundance in our life. Um, and that includes even any financial or property type stuff that we have. Um, when I give a, some kind of challenge like I've given today, like there is on that card, and please consider checking a box about your response today. Make it concrete. You don't have to put your name on the contact card. Um, you could, you, could you know, use it however is best for you. But if you put your name, there's also an additional kind of accountability bringing to the surface kind of thing going on there. Um, and we can pray for you. But here's the sense, is that I picture, uh, as I do these kinds of messages once in a while and talk about money, that you might, you might kind of sit there and you might get a challenge, like a, a practical opportunity to do something. And you might kind of have the sense of, oh, that's not for me, or I'm not sure. And so a few of these might kind of pass you by. But just consider the sense that um, taking a pass you know, on this Palm Sunday challenge, that the spiritual lens that you might look through on that is that you're passing up a path and a door that's opened up for you to a new journey of rich spiritual fulfillment. And to take a pass on that and to move on might end up feeling an awful lot like going down the same old path And maybe that path is just, in the end, going in circles. Let's pray that we would make our way onto new paths of generosity and freedom with our finances. Will you pray with me? God of grace, um, I do not love standing up here and talking about Christian giving, but I thank you for the calling and the privilege to be able to do so. Uh, God, would you open up our hearts and our minds, not so that we might... Not so that we might give, not so that we might give a lot of money, but so that so that we might um, so that we might be filled with your grace given to us in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.